Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. Typically, this is not a religious program. My name is Joe Beam. I have my PhD from the University of Sydney, studying in the area of actually marital satisfaction and sexual satisfaction. And when I work with marriages or work with people who want to get married or just people who are single but in love, I do it from the viewpoint of the social sciences. I am a Christian. As a matter of fact, my undergraduate degree, my bachelor's degree is in Bible. And so I don't hide my Christianity, but typically on this program and in most of the venues where I am talking just about marriage, I do it from a social science standpoint. Yet, I hear so many people who talk about, I have prayed for God to do this. I have prayed for God to do that. Why doesn't God answer my prayer? Or even in Facebook groups that we from Marriage Helper, that's a 501c3 nonprofit that's based here in Middle Tennessee, where I am now. In some of the Facebook groups that we have, I hear, or I read, I should say, people making statements like, if you just hand it over to God, everything is going to turn out right. Your marriage is going to be saved. I even saw a post the other day where somebody quoted some evangelist from somewhere and was quoted in one of our groups as saying, God's hand is on you. Things will come out the way that you expect them to. Your marriage is going to be saved. This is a promise from God. And so I felt like it's time to speak to this, not just to what's happening in Facebook groups that we have, but people I run into all across America. I just flew in from working with marriages in Dallas We have people come to workshops, either in Texas or Tennessee or other places that we have held them from not just across America, but quite a few from Canada as well, of course, North America, I should say, but also other places in the world, even as far as from Beijing, China. And I have been invited, as a matter of fact, to come to Beijing, China, to address the subject of marriages and love, particularly marriages in crisis, because that's one of my specialties. And it was not to come and do so as a Christian, even though that's what I am, but as a doctor, a man with a PhD, and with a lot of experience, but not just hundreds and not just thousands, but hundreds of thousands of people who have been through our workshops and courses and seminars. So tonight, I'm going to keep on my social science hat, but I'm also going to put on my Bible hat, if you will, particularly looking at things from a Christian viewpoint, although I I work with people who are atheists and agnostics and people who are not part of my religion, but have religion, such as people who are Muslims or Jewish. And if you are from any other faith or not faith, such as an agnostic or atheist, don't think that what I'm talking about doesn't necessarily have application to you. It indeed may, but I'm going to be addressing it from the viewpoint of a Christian. And so when people make statements like, oh, God told me that my marriage is going to be saved, Do I believe that God can do that? I believe that God can do anything. But the question becomes, will God do that? Will God do that? Not can he, but will he? And the false promises that some people, I guess I tipped my hand with the word false, did I not? The false promises that some people hang on to who are just so convinced that God is going to do this, this, that, or the other. And then when that does not transpire, they get angry with God when it never was God's promise to begin with. Maybe somebody who told them they were representing God, some evangelist, some deacon, some elder, some Sunday school teacher, or just somebody who goes to church, or or somebody who never goes to church at all, but thinks that he or she knows all about what God thinks. So the topic for tonight's prayer, our program, (laughs) tonight's program is three prayers about love that God won't answer. Now, I hope I've made it clear already that I'm not saying that God cannot answer, but I'm telling you that God won't answer. And when I finally open up to the uh, callers in a few minutes, feel free to take issue with me. If you wish, you may disagree. Now, that does not mean I'm going to agree necessarily with your disagreement, but we will talk about it civilly. I'll treat you kindly with respect, and I expect you to do the same for me. Or you can also agree, if you will. So you might be thinking, all right, that's enough of that. Get on to these things. What are the three prayers that God won't answer? Actually, let me talk about it from the standpoint of two different people. 
And the three prayers God won't answer for one of those people, and the three prayers God won't answer for the other. Now, whether you're single or married or engaged, whatever your relationship might be, but there's a person in which you feel, or for whom I should say, for whom you feel a great deal of love, one prayer about that other person that God won't answer is this one. God in heaven, make blank love me. Now, that's just not going to happen. You say, well, could God do that? I guess God could do anything he wished. He could reach down and set a person's brain and heart and make things change and make things think a certain way. But the theology to which I hold has something that, well, it's actually called this. It's called free moral agency. It's not really important what it's called. It's what it's all about. Now, I realize that there are some people who believe that everything is predestined. And if you believe that everything is predestined by God, then you may believe that God predestines even what you're going to feel on a given day toward a certain person. And a person like that, I guess, would think, well, yes, God will make someone love another person. But if you're truly thinking from that standpoint of predestination, then it's not an answer to your prayer necessarily, is it? It has been predetermined that he will love her or she will love him. But I'm coming from my standpoint of what's called the free moral agency, which is God says, choose you. As a matter of fact, I'm quoting now from the Old Testament when he talked about when Joshua was talking to the people of Israel about what they were going to do. Choose you this day whom you will serve. And Joshua went on to say, I'm going to serve God. You pick who you're going to serve. Now, if God allows me to pick who it is I'm going to serve, God allows me to pick the course of life that I follow. And if I choose one path, then that has certain consequences that go with it. If I choose a different path, that has a different set of consequences that go with that. And for me then to look at somebody in life that we have given, that God, I should say, has given this opportunity to make their own choices about what they're going to do, and to pick that one person out, I'm a single person, and I'm falling in love with, oh, let's just say I've fallen in love with Sally Sue. But Sally Sue doesn't seem to be in love with me. And I say, God, God in heaven, I pray that you reach into Sally Sue's heart and make her love me. First of all, he's not going to do it because of the fact that he's given us all the ability to make our own choices about what we do. Secondly, how can I be so arrogant as to think that God looks down from heaven and thinks, wow, you're right. Of all the potential people she could be in love with on the planet, you are the best. And therefore, I'll answer that prayer and make Sally Sue fall just in love with you. Well, but what if at the same time, Sally Sue's looking at Henry over there and she's saying, Lord, please, I'm in love with Henry. Please make him fall in love with me. You see how complicated this gets? And so God, God leaves it up to us to decide. Now, in the business that I'm in, which has to do with marriage, it gets a little bit more serious and a lot more painful. For example, if you were a member or are a member of one of our Facebook groups called Save My Marriage, it's a closed group. You have to apply to get into the group, and if you get in, then people who are not in the group can't see your posts. There are a little over 4,000 people in that group right now, and there are a whole lot of people every day that apply to get into the group, but we actually do have a screening process. And I'll tell you about that later if you want to know. But when I go into that group and read some of the things that people are writing, it breaks my heart because they love a husband or a wife with such a deep love within them. And this husband or this wife is straying. They, they have gone off. Either they've gone off toward or with another person, which, of course, is extremely painful, or they've gone off towards some other lifestyle, or maybe they just came to a conclusion, I don't want to be with you anymore. And so when these people post Quite often, many of them will say, I pray that God will make my husband love me again, or I pray that God will make my wife love me again. And, and you're probably listening to me saying, well, I thought as a Christian, you'd believe God answers prayer, and I actually do. God is going to make anyone have any emotion. Now, God teaches principles through his word. I am a biblicist. I really am. God teaches principles through his word that if you follow those principles, if you do what he says do, if you understand what he tells you to do, then they will lead to certain things. For example, you can learn how to be in love with God by understanding how he wants you to do that and the process you go through to do so. And that you can fall in love with each other. If you think about it, back when the Bible was written, quite a few of the marriages were still arranged marriages. I mean, people didn't get to pick their spouse 
mom and dad picked a spouse quite often for you. And often it wasn't on the thing of, wow, I think this is the person you'll love the most, but based on other circumstances, like this is a good man that'll be a good dad. So therefore we're going to arrange that marriage with him. Or this is a good woman from a good family, and, and we know that good people come out of that family, so we're going to arrange that marriage with her. Or sometimes even for financial reasons, like, well, you'll be taken care of for the rest of your life. And it was to those people, most of whom were going into marriages by arrangement, not people they chose, like the system we use here in America, that God would say, husbands, love your wives, and would say to the wives, you know, you respect your husbands, talking about how they loved him. And if you understand the principles, then when you start working through the New Testament, when people do that, when they do the things that God tells them to do, then they will develop love for the other person. In my book, The Art of Falling in Love, I talk about the fact that falling in love is a process. And if you follow the process, you fall in love whether you intend to or not. But here's the negative part of that. If you vacate or violate that process, you fall out of love. And so quite often, husbands or wives do that. They just vacate or violate the process. Rather than going up the love path and the way that makes love grow, they go down the love path in a way that just erodes love. And finally, one day, it's not there anymore. Often, there are kinds of indications that he or she is going that direction, but often the other person doesn't see. Just the other day, another fellow said to me, if only I had seen the signs. I mean, I didn't realize how my behavior was affecting her. When she finally left me and I finally pushed and pushed, I found out that she did because she felt I had been controlling and dominating, that I'd had her under my thumb, that I treated her more like my daughter than my wife. And when she finally had it up to here, she left me, didn't want to be with me anymore. And sometimes, sometimes even situations like that will lead the person not just to leave you, but to go be involved with somebody else. And no, I am not justifying their leaving you. And no, I'm certainly not justifying their being involved with somebody else. But if you're hearing my point, if you're understanding what I'm saying, it happened through a process, a process in which you very likely were involved, whether you realized you were involved or not. And in that process, as that other person fell out of love with you, and I'm not saying that you deserve that because you did something wrong necessarily. I'm not saying that at all. It's just the fact that, you know, we get busy with life and with the kids and with hobbies and with career and so many other things and often don't really pay attention to our marriages. And therefore, we really are contributors to going the wrong way on the love path where love is ending, even though we didn't intend to end our love. And then when finally, when finally we're told by our spouse, I don't love you anymore, and even worse, in many cases, I'm in love with somebody else, we panic, and I understand that. I can get it. I'm on the side of the people trying to save the marriage. So please forgive me if I'm sounding harsh. I don't mean to sound harsh, but I am not trying to hide my passion about this, that right now the solution is that you throw everything on God and just say, make him love me again, make her love me again. And that's going to happen. Yes, God cares. And yes, God loves you. And yes, God does want you to be in love with each other again. I mean, he makes these passages like in the old Testament, in the book of Malachi, where he said, I hate divorce. In the gospels, Jesus would talk about how you shouldn't divorce, even to the point where that his followers would say, well, if you can't divorce for any reason, then it's better if we never got married at all. Because they were thinking, how in the world can you do that? And yet it was to those people that Jesus was making it clear, marriage is for a lifetime. So I know God is pro-marriage, and I know God wants us to work things out. I know God wants us to be in love with each other. But I also know, because he allows each of us to make our own choice, that he's not going to make your spouse fall in love with you again. He's just not going to do it. Now, will he work in circumstances and situations? Absolutely. So rather than saying, God, make me make blank, Charlie, Mary, whomever, be in love with me again, I think a whole lot better prayer would be, God, would you put circumstances and situations in that person's life that can lead them back toward me? And that's not God making them do anything. And if they're on a path, that's going to be leading to some really bad things like adultery, like getting into some kind of addiction, like, well, even divorce. I think divorce is bad in most cases. Now, I'm not, I realize right now people would call in and say, what do you mean most cases? Divorce is always bad. 
I'll try to clarify that in a few minutes. The short version here is this, that sometimes people have to run to their own safety because of how abusive another person is. And that's just a sad situation of life or run for the safety of their children. But yes, I know that God is for marriage and wants you to be in love with each other, but he's still not going to reach in the other person's heart and make that person love you. So what do you do? You can pray about the situations, as I just said, and the circumstances in the other person's life. You can also pray, God, help me have the wisdom to know the things I should do that can create situations where he or she can love me again. And God, give me the wisdom, well, the wisdom on both sides, the things to know what not to do and the things to know what to do. And then you can learn, of course, a lot from people who are actually pro-marriage. For example, and forgive me for this sounding like a commercial, but we have a 10-week online course where we guide people through the things to do and things not to do. No, I'm not saying we are equal to God. God forbid I should say such a thing. <laughs> I don't think he would appreciate my creating myself with him. But people who do love God and love people and love marriage, but have also also don't just have this Pollyannish faith of saying, if you just pray about it, everything's going to turn out all right. People will be honest with you to say, it may not. It may end up in a divorce. We hope that it doesn't, but it may. But here are the things that you should do. And if you do them, if anything works, this will. If anything works, this will. Rather than just sitting around thinking God's going to take care of it, and then getting mad when the other person doesn't fall in love with you again and blaming it on God. I'm not saying it's your fault the other person fell out of love with you. I am saying you may have contributed to that. But I'm saying that rather than praying that they just be changed, you pray for the wisdom and knowledge to change you and the things you shouldn't do and should do. Now, if we can help, you just go online to our course. It's Marriage Helper. That's like Marriage Help, E-R, marriagehelper.com slash save my marriage. All one word, no spaces, no periods. So marriagehelper.com, save my marriage. You can see our long, online course. Sign up for that. We'll show you a lot of things to do. If you don't want to do it with us, do it with somebody. But understand, quit praying for God to make the other person love you. He won't. Or a prayer that's similar to that. God, change my husband. God, change my wife. Now, I'm not saying that God is not in the change business. He certainly is. And sometimes God will put the right person in a person's life that can have the right kind of influence to teach him or her to change. Sometimes God can create the right situations. Many years ago, when I was a very young man in college, I remember a bunch of us would go to a nursing home every, I think it was Tuesday night, when an old rickety worn out school bus would pile on to 30 or 40 of us and ride to the nursing home. Some would do a teaching session. It was a devotional kind of thing. It was through our universe, our college, which was a Christian college. And some would do a thing out in the main room for the people who were ambulatory. And then the rest of us would go room to room just visiting with people. There was a quartet that would go and sing. They didn't allow me in that group. I can't sing. And then some of us that would just go in and visit. And I recall meeting a lady who was flat on her back and dying. She was a relatively young woman, but in a nursing home. And she looked at us. She was a nursing home because of her condition. She was going to die. There was no place else for her to go. And she turned her head and looked at us, those 18 and 19-year-old freshmen and sophomores in her room and said, sometimes God will put you flat on your back, so you have to look up. Now, I don't know if God put her there or not, but I know one thing. That circumstance made her look to God, not against God. So rather than praying God change Charlie or God change Mary, I think it's a whole lot better to say God put situations in his or her life to keep them from going the path that is wrong. That doesn't mean they will stop. I mean, they may keep going. Even no matter what comes into their lives, they may keep going on that wrong path because people can bull right through if they want to. And the second part of that prayer I've already mentioned, and God, will you please, if at all possible, put people into his or her life that can hear, that can steer him or her in the right direction. Now, if you've been praying that, you say, I prayed that prayer, I prayed that prayer, but there is no person like that. God's not answering that prayer. You don't know that God's not answering that prayer. It could be the person is on the way. It could be that God already sent that person, but that your spouse didn't want anything to do with him or her because it still comes back to a matter of choice that he or she gets to do whatever they want to do, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. And that there are consequences either way. There are consequences to good things. Thank you. And there are consequences to bad things. Oh, no. But it happens. And so the first prayer is, 
God make blank love me? He's not going to answer that. He leaves it up to them to choose. The second is change that person, God. He won't do it directly. He won't just reach in and flip their mind over through some kind of a spiritual hypnosis. So instead, pray for things such as, God help me to know the wisdom about the things to do and not to do to be more lovable. And God, please bring circumstances, situation, and people into my into that person's life that can lead him or her in the right direction. Does that mean then that it's going to happen that all of a sudden he or she's going to have all those things hit him or her in such a way that they turn around and come running home? No, it's still their choice, and that's what you need to understand. And here's the third prayer. God, please make blank, blank could be Charlie, Mary, whomever, please make blank, quit loving blank. Now, this is the really hard one. In the workshops that we do for marriages in crisis called Marriage Helper 911, we're doing one roughly every two weeks now somewhere in America. Right now, mostly in Tennessee and Texas. But we have people come who love their spouses, who really want to salvage their marriages, who want them to be good again, whose spouses come in the room who are, quote, madly in love, end quote, with someone else to the point that they're not thinking straight about a number of things. I'll give you an example. In every one of our workshops, although we don't ask people to talk about, hey, and if you've been divorced, and if so, how badly did your parents' divorce affect you? It always comes up, and people start telling their stories, and they start talking about how my parents' divorce affected me, and we hear men saying that, and women saying that. We hear people in their 20s talking about it, people in their 40s talking about it, people in their 60s talking about it, who have these memories and who have been hurt ever since or ever since, I guess I should say. I was just teaching my class at the university this afternoon. I teach as adjunct faculty in the psychology department at the university here in Middle Tennessee. And I was teaching my class this afternoon when you see research out there in the social sciences and they claim things such as, you know, if you divorce and you are amicable with each other, you're friendly to each other after the divorce, then it won't harm your kids. That when you read research like that, and believe it or not, there's some out there like that, Take it at face value. Why? Well, in every scientific research where it's hard science, like mix these two chemicals together, or the soft sciences, like what we do in psychology and social sciences, you can't control all the variables. And sometimes the results you get are directly based on the questions you asked or the way in which you ask them, or as you can understand, even the way that you interpret them. And so when people say, okay, our research project said because of the fact that after the parents divorced, they were amicable, everything turned out great for the kids. There's no difficulty there. Hog, wash. Since we're talking about Christian stuff, I'll just say King James Version, hog, wash, if. And I told my students, every, every one of our workshops, people talk about it. Even if the parents were amicable after the divorce, they talk about the scar tissue, the pain. And it's kind of fascinating that right there in our workshops with so many people, men and women, various ages, telling those stories. There are other people in there in that same workshop who are hearing these things, seeing the tears in their eyes, hearing the tremble in their voices, who will then turn right around and say, well, you know, I believe that you should never stay married just for the kids. I believe that kids are resilient. Nothing bad will ever happen. You know, if you just go ahead and divorce, I believe that I should be happy. If I'm not happy, the kids aren't going to be happy. And so if I stayed and I'm not happy, the kids are going to be unhappy. Therefore, if I leave to be happy, the kids are going to be happy. And all kinds of drivel like that. It's ridiculous. Sitting there listening to the pain the other people talk about from the divorce of their parents and then making statements like that. So you need to understand that even if, even if, you do pray the prayers about send the right person into his or her life. Be with me that I will do the right things and won't do the wrong things. That no matter what happens, they still make their choice. And if they choose to be selfish and close off all knowledge of anything other than what they already want to believe, it may not get there. And so when you play, pray, God, please make blank, quit loving blank. It's still back to that same free moral agency. God doesn't do that that way. You said, then what do we pray for? I pray for obstacles. God put obstacles in their path. I pray for make things happen that, that will somehow stop that by the circumstances and situations in which they find themselves. I did see somebody that posted a prayer where they actually were praying, God, 
God bring another man into that woman's life so she'll wind up loving that man and leave my husband alone. I don't think I'd pray that prayer. If she's destroying your marriage, why in the world would you pray that somebody else go along whose marriage might be destroyed? Oh, I'm sure that the person wasn't thinking in that term. The person was not trying to think harmfully toward the, well, maybe, maybe he or she was. I don't know. I know there's some people who pray for destruction to come for the other person. And by the way, by the way, if you think, well, wow, a Christian would never pray for that. A Christian never would pray for really bad things to happen to the other person. I suggest you go to the book of Psalms. And read there, where time after time after time, you'll read the laments of pain. And you'll read even godly men like King David, that the Bible says was a man after God's own heart, would pray for destruction to come to his enemies. You actually can pray for that. God can bring about situations and circumstances. God can send people. God just won't make them change. Do you understand? But yeah, I know it sounds like not the kind of thing you talk about in church now, but go back and deal Psalms and you'll find those situations where people did pray. God bring bad things to these other people. And the intent and idea was get them to stop what they're doing, move them away. And sometimes the intent really was to punish them for the wrongdoing. You say, does God punish people for wrongdoing? <laughs> I know that's not popular to talk about at church in this day and time, but that passage, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth that shall he also reap. I'm quoting the King James. That's where I memorized it so many years ago. That is still there in Galatians chapter 6, beginning at verse 7. Well, what about the other person? Let's say, let's say that you're a husband and you have fallen out of love with your wife or a wife who's fallen out of love with your husband. You have gotten involved with somebody else. And the part inside of you that has been in harmony with God, let's say you were maybe a deacon in your church, a Sunday school teacher, or just a good member. In other words, you, you really did love God. You really wanted to do what was right. But now you find yourself committing adultery, if not already physically, at least already spiritually or mentally committing adultery. What kind of prayers can you pray that God won't answer? Well, one of them is, God, make me stop loving blank. You say, God won't answer my prayer to make me stop loving that woman. God won't answer my prayer to make me stop loving that man. That is correct. You started loving him or her because you went through the process. Will God help you reverse that process? Yes, I have no doubt. Can God guide you out of that? Yes, I have no doubt. But if you're expecting God just to reach in your heart and work a miracle just like that to take away that love, I don't think God answers it like that. Now, just as soon as I say that, there'll be somebody who'll call in in a few minutes, and we're almost to the callers, who'll say, but it happened for me. I prayed, and boom, that love was gone. And I'm not going to say, okay, that wasn't God, <laughs> because everything good that happens, I thank God for. I don't think it makes him mad if I miss. If it's good, I thank him. But could it be, could it just be that it's because of the fact that you finally yielded yourself and that's why that love went away. You finally begin to get in touch with the person that you were, not the person that you've become and what you are doing. So rather than saying, God, make me stop loving blank, whether it's Charlie, Mary, whomever, I think a whole lot better prayer is, God, lead me away from blank. Lead me in the direction that will erode the emotions that I feel that will diminish them, that will lead them to finally go away completely. God, lead me in the right way. I didn't get there overnight. I don't think I'm going to go out of that overnight, but I know you can guide me away. And, and another is, and oh, by the way, God, make me start loving my spouse. I have read so many things where that one spouse finally posts or says to me in some situation, well, you see, I prayed. I prayed that God would make me love my wife again. I prayed that God would make me love my husband again. And that didn't happen. And so therefore, I'm pretty convinced that God just wants me out of this marriage and I'm going to go with the person that I'm loving. Because I pray, God, make me stop loving her. God, make me, stop, make me start loving my wife. And I prayed diligently and it didn't happen. So therefore, it must be the will of God that I leave my wife and go with the other woman. No, no, not at all. You see, it's still the same thing. If you're going to make a prayer like that, don't don't pray it just that way. Make me do this. Make me do that. Again, you pray understanding pre-moral agency, even your own, your own wisdom to make your own decisions. God lets you choose. And so God guide me on a path to 
develop love for my spouse. God got me on a path that will erode, that will diminish the love I have for the person that I should not be in love with. And if you pray those prayers sincerely, where you also yield yourself to God, then yes, it can and will happen. But don't pray for God to make it happen, and don't pray that prayer when it's just mostly lip service. You remember Jesus talked about people who just kept repeating the same prayer over and over and over again, thinking that just the repetition made it come true. And he was saying, no, it has to do with you. It has to do with what's in your heart, the faith that you have. If I'm going to pray for God to have me stop loving Sally, then that means that I will have to choose not to have any more communication with Sally, that I'll do everything I can to get away from her, and that I will do everything I can, praying God help me, help me develop love for Alice again. I'll start doing those things to develop love for Alice. And and I'll make a decision. If I'm going to make that kind of prayer, God, I'm going to do the right thing no matter what I feel. And when I make that kind of surrender, that kind of surrender, then I'm not going to run off with Sally. I'm going to stay with Alice. And with time, we will work that love out. And oh, by the way, I know that's true because I've lived it many years ago. And her name wasn't Sally. I just call her Sally Sue because some people know who she is. When Sally Sue first started pulling away from me after I had left Alice for her, and I did. I divorced Alice. I left Alice and went, I was going to be with Sally Sue on her real name, of course, for the rest of my life. And when finally she started pulling away, I was praying that prayer to God, make her love me. I'd given up everything. Oh, and that's that third prayer for the people in that situation, which is they actually have the audacity. I did it. I did it. God, I know that you said I shouldn't divorce. I know that you said I shouldn't commit adultery, but I did. And now I'm in this relationship with Sally Sue, so I'm asking you to bless it. I know, I know that you will. And here's what makes it even worse. Not people on the backside of it saying, oh, my God, I'm sorry. God in heaven, I, I should have never done it. I'm so broken. I'm so sorry. I'm so penitent. But now I'm married to this person, so at least help me figure out how to make this happen. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about people up front. Because we, we, we hear people tell us this all the time. My husband or my wife said that they prayed diligently and that they now know that God wants them to divorce me. God wants them to marry the other person and that God's going to bless that union. And they're absolutely convinced that that's the will of God. It is not. You say, well, you don't get to call it. No, but neither do you. So who can? Well, God. Well, how do you know what he calls? Pick up the book. It's called the Bible when he says things that thou shalt not commit adultery. That's one of the big ten, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, or in the New Testament, where he says that the marriage bed should be undefiled. And they in advance say, I've prayed and prayed, and I know that God wants me to leave my wife or my, or my husband and my children and go be with this other guy or this other gal, that's where God wants me to be, and God's going to bless that. You find me anywhere in the Bible where it says that works out. A few years ago, a fellow said to me, well, I, it does. And as a matter of fact, my Bible example is David and Bathsheba. Now, David committed adultery with her, got her pregnant, and then David even murdered her husband and then married her. And God blessed that marriage because, because they had a son named Solomon who became the next king. And so see... See, God will bless that, and God blessed that there. That was not the will of God. And even though they did have that son, Solomon, who did become king, that Solomon did a lot of damage to the kingdom of God, by the way, if you know anything about Old Testament or Jewish history. But beyond that, you know what kind of consequences came to that? Well, first of all, her husband was murdered by David. That's a pretty bad consequence, don't you think? And then, in addition to that, they had a child together, their first child together, the one that was conceived out of wedlock because she was married to somebody else. That one died. Then later, another one of, their, of, of David's sons raped his half-sister, and she lived the rest of her life as a desolate woman. Then that half-sister's full brother, Absalom, killed the brother that raped her. Four children who either died or had their lives destroyed. The three boys, or, or the, the baby and the two boys, died. The girl had her life ruined forever. You say, that, that had nothing to do with her, his sin. Yes, it did. When Nathan the prophet came to him and told him a story about a guy who 
killed and ate his neighbor's sheep, which was just a story. It was an illustration. David said, that guy needs to die for that. Well, as impolite as it is to eat your neighbor's pet, it is not a capital crime. He said that because he felt guilty. And it was Nathan that said, hey, I'm talking about you and what you have done with Bathsheba. Also, King David has said he should pay fourfold. He'd taken the sheep. He should pay fourfold. He should pay back four times as much as what he did. And David did. The death of the baby, the rape of that one daughter, the death of another son, the death of another son, all directly traceable back to what he did. So don't think God's up there saying, oh, yeah, go ahead. You can ask me to, ah, I know you're doing wrong, but that's okay. That's cool. I want you to be happy. So you just leave this one, and you go ahead and get in that other marriage, and I make everything, hey, okay, I'm going to bless you like crazy. Now, did God bless David later? Yes, he did. But look at the consequences David got for what he did. Bathsheba losing that little baby. She had consequences too, don't you think? And so if you're going to pray, and I'm all for praying. I do believe that God answers prayer. I believe that God's very interested in what's going on. Pray God, help me have the wisdom to know the right things to do and the things I shouldn't do. God, give me the courage to do the things I should do when I don't want to. God, surround me with people that can hold me up, that can strengthen me emotionally, spiritually, mentally, that can be on my side. God, protect me from the people that try to convince me not to do the right thing. And if you're going to pray prayers like that, then you need to seek out people who can be on your side and be there for you spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. And you need to, as much as possible, avoid those people who are having the negative consequences on you. And rather than asking God or to make anybody do anything, say, God bless me with those people, those things, those circumstances. God bring the people, the circumstances, and situations into the other person's life, either to stop things that are going on, or to lead them in the right direction, knowing that even if God does intervene with those circumstances, God is still not going to make that person do anything, and that person always has the choice to push right through the pain if God's creating negative circumstances and still do the wrong thing if they want to. And they can still find people who will support them. They can even find people. They can even find churches full of people who will say, we're on your side. Oh, it's okay. Look, I'm all for grace. I'm all for mercy. If not for the grace and mercy of God, I wouldn't be here. So thank you, God, for your grace, and thank you, God, for your mercy. But man, the people who see somebody doing wrong, and rather than offering grace and mercy after penitence, up front, just get on their side and help them, help them do the wrong thing? And when it comes to ministers and priests, I suppose rabbis, I'm just thinking about specific situations I know, where people or church deacons and elders, and people have gone to them and said, help me, help me, and they go, well, we don't want to get involved. Or they go one time, make one visit, and then they drop out. It just makes me spiritually sick to think that people who are supposed to be spiritual mentors and spiritual warriors and fight for what's right and good have become so politically correct or so mamby-pammy weak, one or the other, that rather than standing up and helping you and calling people to do the right thing, whip out, disappear, or even encourage people to do things that the Bible says is wrong. I guess I've made myself pretty clear about that. We're going to need to go to some callers here. We've got a few out here waiting, and, and they may well be wanting to say, Beam, you're an idiot. Let me tell you where you're wrong. In that case, they certainly can. We're first going to call the area code 724. Hello, 724. You're on the Dr. Joe Show. Hi, Joe. This is Erica. I've talked to you um, before. Hi, Erica. How are you tonight? Good, thanks. How are you? <laughs> well, now that I've gotten my rant done, <laughs> I am, <laughs> I am good, mocking it. It was a very good program. Well, thank you. So how can I help you tonight, Erica? Um, I just wanted to ask a quick question um, okay. and get some advice maybe on how I should approach something um, because I don't want to – I kind of feel like now that I've heard the program that maybe I'm um, – I don't know, maybe enabling my husband to continue his life of sin mm-hmm. by not doing things. Um, I don't want to do that. Um, so um, my question is more specifically is that today um, 
my husband, um, well, yesterday he wanted to create a more set schedule to see our child. Mm-hmm. And I thought, hey, that's, that's great because he's been really inconsistent. And um, so he picked him up from daycare today and they spent the afternoon together. And I thought, hey, that's great. Um, and I was going to talk to him tonight whenever um, he had dropped him off um, about, you know, the schedule and sending things or whatever. And then um, I had gone to the bank to get a check to pay for daycare. And I realized, now this is a joint account my husband and I have together. Um, he doesn't use the account, just I'm using it now. Um, he has since opened a separate bank account. Mm-hmm. Um, but I realized that the address now on my checking account is the other woman's address. And my oh husband my has goodness. now changed our joint checking account to the other woman's address. And he oh. has been telling me that he is living with a friend, um, a male mm-hmm. friend in a different city. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know how to, I guess, confront or approach my husband about that because originally my whole premise of the conversation was going to be, um, hey, you know, we need to improve our communication because we really don't talk at all and we mm-hmm. need to, um, you know, do some other things to rebuild trust in these things for the schedule and for the sake of our son. And, you know, we've paid for the workshop already since April mm-hmm. and we just haven't gone. So I was going to try to suggest that we go to the workshop to effectively co-parent mm-hmm. and help him co-parent because his other woman is pregnant um, and she's due in two months. And then I get the thing today on the statement that shows that it's um, her address. And so now I also believe that my bank statements have been going to her house. Oh, my. Uh, so I don't know I, if he's spying on me as far as, like, my money and what I'm doing with money um, right. or what. But I don't know how to approach it with him. And so I was mm-hmm. just looking <laughs> for okay. advice because I don't want to help him continue in this life of sin. I don't blame you one bit. When we talk about the fact of being a safe place, which is very important, let me try to illustrate it since I've been talking to you about God's stuff. Let me try to illustrate it from a God sort of way, if I would. And, and of course, I'm not saying that we become God. I mean, we seek to be like God, but we won't become God, as you know. But a safe place with God, since I've already been talking about that this, tonight, a safe place with God is that God would listen to us whatever we say. I mean, whatever we feel, whatever we think, we can actually talk to God very openly about that. That's part of what prayer is. And God actually can be very tolerant of what we think and what we feel. And he even, to a little degree, will be tolerant of what we do. In other words, you don't have to be living an absolute perfect life for God to be blessing you because there is such a thing as imperfection. God knows that we're not perfect. At the same time, when we blatantly do things that are in rebellion, and in my opinion, and I'm being a little theological here, but in my opinion, there's a difference in the way God looks at us when we do things um, from weakness and we do things that are just outright rebellion. In the Old Testament, for example, there's this passage where it says, keep me back from willful sin. And it's from the Hebrew word zed, which means arrogant. God looks at arrogance a different way. So if a person, for example, is struggling with alcohol and slips and has a drink, okay, that's one kind of thing. Here's a person that's trying, doing his best, but, you know, failing because of his weakness. On the other person, on the other hand, if a person says, I'm just going to go ahead and, and, and fill up my whole bar with all kinds of hundred-proof vodka bottles and drink whatever I want, whenever I want to, no matter what God says about drunkenness, then that's arrogance. And so we look at the situation that you've got going here where that now – that's uh, going to her. I'm assuming, I'm assuming that he puts money into that account. Is that correct? No, he doesn't. It's just, okay. he gave me the debit. He gave me the debit card back to the account and everything. So mm-hmm. I have no idea why all of a sudden now it's going like her address okay. is on there. All right. So he doesn't put any money into it. Does he take any money out of it? No. Okay. So it's actually your account. It just has his name on it. Yes, because it originally was our joint checking account, and then he opened a separate bank account and started depositing his pay right. elsewhere um, a couple of months okay. ago mm-hmm. and gave me the debit card back and, um, yeah, stopped giving me money. Okay, I don't – I can't tell you what to do, as you know, because I don't have to live with the consequences you do. But if that were I, I would view that as an arrogant act. And I'd say to him, look, I like being a safe place, and if you ever want to talk to me about what you feel or what you think, I'm willing to listen without – jumping down your throat. I really will. I'm trying to understand you and have compassion toward you. But there are certain behaviors that are unacceptable. And having my checking account with my money going to an address where she lives is unacceptable, and that's going to change. 
Now, I'm assuming that because you're a joint holder on that account and name, that you actually could go to the bank and tell them, take that address off, turn it back to my address. Is that correct? Yes, and I actually did that. Um, whenever I got home, I changed it back to my address tonight through Excellent. online banking. Excellent. Excellent. I would have that conversation with him. I would be the soft and hard at the same time. I'd say, here's the soft side. I care. I'm willing to listen to you. I'll, I'll listen to whatever you think or feel, even if I don't like it. And, and, and that means that you're being the safe place. But there's behaviors that I will no longer tolerate, and this is one of them. And if you've not yet gotten started with that attorney, young lady, I still <laughs> think it's time for you to do so. That's my opinion. You do what you think is right. I know. I know. I, I, just I, I, it, I know I've told you that before. I just struggle with it so much. Yeah. But there's just every day now it seems like there is just more and more that he is doing right. that um, it's out asking, of control. He's, he's right. out of control. It's based on everything I've heard you say week after week. When you, well, you don't call every week, but what I've heard you say over the weeks, I, call yeah, I agree. <laughs> he, he is out of control. I would ask around until I found people, get a, an attorney that's got a good reputation, pe- find out people that have already dealt with him or her, make sure it's somebody who is tough, who is really tough, but also has a good reputation of following through on things. My recommendation, you do what you think is right. But my recommendation is stop putting up with this. She'll be that kind, gentle person. Be that kind, gentle person. You are. But stop putting up with this is my, my suggestion. Get the attorney and do what you need to do. But it's your choice. It's your call. I'm going to be your friend no matter what you decide, okay? No, and I, I appreciate that. And can I just ask, how would you bring that up to him in the fact that he says that he's not staying with her and that she's not out of, you know, she's not there? How do I even say, like, do I just say, hey, I got these checks and I noticed that her address is on them? Why That's is that? That's what I would do. That's exactly okay. how I would do that's exactly okay. good. I'd make it a question. Hey, I got this, that address. Tell me when that address is on there. But based on the history you've had with him, don't expect a true answer. Yes, I know. <laughs> Thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right. You have a good evening. Okay. You take care. You too. Okay. And then we're going to go over to area code 915. Hello, 915. You're on the Dr. Joe show. Hello? Yes. Are you there? Hello, Dr. Beam. How are you? I am doing well. How are you, my friend? Oh, I was waiting for the rock and bopping. That's my favorite one. <laughs> I usually say that, but tonight I've been on such a rant. I'm thinking maybe I need to tone it back some. <laughs> but yeah, that, that, that's okay. usually what I say, rock and bopping. I've been saying that since the 1970s when you didn't even exist. So, <laughs> Okay. Joe, I'll get right to it because I know you have a lot of calls and not a lot of time left. Um, I kind of feel like that previous caller that just called uh, right now, uh, I feel like in a way I'm enabling my wife's affair. And it's so hard, Joe, because I think I've done a really good job of trying to create a safe place. Mm-hmm. But it's frustrating because you taught us that, you know, as much as you create that atmosphere, you can't make them do it. And it's just frustrating because I, I, I know I've done a good job of creating that atmosphere, but I still don't get anything back. And we're already mm-hmm. oof, like eight months into this. Mm-hmm. And it's just the valleys are so, they're hard. You know, I get signs of goodness that things could happen. We could get back. And then I get the total uh, withdrawal, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually on my way to her apartment right now to talk about what, what, what's the status of things. Because I kind of I got impatient. Now, my mm-hmm. question for you is, how can I approach her tonight, well, within the next couple of minutes, because I'm already here, mm-hmm. or I can say, hey, you know what, um, how do you feel about us? Where do you feel without, because I asked her that at lunch today, and I got a, like a, just a, like a look of, like, she saw a ghost, and mm-hmm. she just said, I don't know, but mm-hmm. then when she texts me, it's like, uh, you know, I miss you, I love you, or... Every once in a while, and I love you, or she'll take me some food. Like tonight, she brought me dinner, and it's, it's very mm-hmm. confusing, Joe. How do I yeah. ask her without creating that like a uh, uh, that atmosphere of wow, oh, you're just sitting, you're just like uh, just questioning well, me. You know, I don't want to do that. You know, well, I think the way you've said it so far sounds good. Where it's like, you know, I'm I'm at a point where I need to know, and I'm asking. I need to know what you feel. I need to think. I need to know where you think you're headed from here. 
at some point, as you know, people in the valley, and for those listening who don't know what the valley is, the valley is when a person gets into a situation, particularly when they're involved with another person, they get into a situation where that they have a, a fairly decent relationship with the spouse and, and apparently a, at least a fairly decent relationship with the other person. And it gets to the point where they kind of get into this groove, which I call the valley, where they don't feel like they have to do anything. And in a valley, the people will vacillate. They'll vacillate between wanting to be with that other person, vacillate about wanting to be with the spouse. And I often suggest, because I never tell people what to do, as I always say, I do not have to live with your consequences, but often suggest that people tolerate the valley for a while if they can, because at least you're having conversations with the other person, and hopefully that can lead them back to you. But if the person's behavior is becoming destructive, it's time to end the valley. Or if it's becoming where that you can't really cope with it any longer, it's time to end the valley. Because when, when it starts really, really getting to you deeply, I mean, it's been bothering you all along, but when it really starts getting under your skin and eating at you, that increases the likelihood that you're going to do something that's actually going to turn out to have negative consequences. And so when you get to the point of thinking, okay, I can't really go down the valley any longer, I, I, I get it. No, you're not telling me you're into the valley, but you're saying what I'm hearing is that you feel like you're getting close to the end of the valley. Is that right? I, I don't know, Joe. I know. I mean, uh, in sense, I mean, in the sense of what you will put up with. What I'll put up with? Um, In other words, not yet. I, I I have a good no. I have a good tolerance, though. I, and I, I thought about that too. You, you've mentioned that a lot. You said, you know what? If you can stick with it, and you're seeing a lot of good signs, you. It may be at the third stage of limits, and you may you mm-hmm. may see a breakthrough. Yep, and, and it may. Uh, well, you've yeah. always been strong. You know, we've talked several times. You've always been strong. If you can go longer, I suggest that you do. But even since we're talking from tonight a lot from a religious standpoint, even God at some point gets to the end of his patience where God says that's it. No, you're not there. Good. Now, so back to your original question then, and I just wanted to explain the valley for anybody else listening who didn't know what that was. Right. Okay, when you walk in, I think you can do it just like you said. You're you're a pretty mild-mannered guy. You're not going to be verbally beating her up. Just walk in and say, no. I'm at the point where I'm asking for some information. And then do a lot of listening. And if she gives answers, gently ask more questions, but do it very gently. First of all, pause a lot so it doesn't like you're right down her throat. So pause, let time pass. And when you ask the questions, be sure to think about them a little bit before you do. And, and just say, I'm not here to, 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 to beat you up. I'm not here to cause any problems. I'm here to not asking you because you know I care. And you tell me that you care. Can you help me understand some things? And if she says something like, I'm not even sure myself, respond something like this. I get that. And that's okay. A lot of times people don't really know. But is it okay if we talk about it? Because by talking about it, maybe you'll actually understand more about what you feel as you're helping me understand more about what you feel. And if you do it that calm, gentle, kind way, that's the greatest likelihood of getting the kind of answers that you're looking for. And, and you may well just trigger the thoughts in her head that she's not been allowing herself to think. Okay. That's how I would try it. If it were I, I think that's good advice. I think I'm I'm going to do that because I'm not at the point where I want to make an ultimatum at all because okay. I know right now she would just say, well, I'm just going to be with her. And yeah. uh, even though she doesn't really know mean that, um, mm-hmm. I know that's what's true for her right now. So mm-hmm. I think approaching it like, you know, you've shown, you've said a lot of things that lead me to believe that you still care about me and I still care about mm-hmm. you. Can you help me understand mm-hmm. that? Better? I think that's great advice, Joe. Good, good. And remember, if she starts saying things like, I don't really know, say, that's fine. I understand. But can we talk about it? Because by helping me understand, maybe you'll help yourself understand. And then don't push. Just be gentle and kind. I think it could work. I would like to hear how it turns out, my friend. I will. I'll, I'll email you, Joe. Okay. Thank you very much. You take care of yourself. God bless you. Thank you, sir. Okay. God bless you. Okay. And so far tonight, then, both callers have been people that I've talked to before. We often get callers calling back second, third, and 15th time sometimes. 
And what they know how to do <laughs> is come on at the very beginning of the program and get in the queue so that when I do get to callers, they're first. And that's one of the advantages of being people who have done it before. Okay, we're now going to area code 319. Hello, 319. You're on the Joe Beam Show. Hi, Joe. Um, this is Tammy in Iowa. And um, we've talked before, but it's been a while. Um, I had a question for you um, okay. about an email um, from my husband. He's um, he's wanting to um, come over to the home and, and um, get some of his tools. And um, I'm not really sure how to answer that, but um, I'll, I'll have to give you some more information too so you can kind of, uh, you know, feel out the situation and see if, uh, how I might respond to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so uh, there's been some weird changes that we've seen in him. Um, he, he, we don't see him very often. I am in a process of a disillusion. He, he knows that we don't want it, but we are in it. Um, and he had been in a relationship with someone. I, I don't know if he's still in it, but he had been in a relationship with someone that he had met after he left. And mm-hmm. it's been about a year, maybe over a year. And during that time, he really went downhill, got some OWIs. And mm. um, his hair, he changed his hair. His hair grew out and looked terrible. He looked physically and mentally and emotionally terrible um, when we did see him of the few times. Um, mm-hmm. And and um, and then um, I got into a small fender bender at the beginning of August, and um, he got an email from the uh, – auto insurance company and he emailed me and said is everyone okay and I said yeah and he said good I'm glad everyone is okay Um, and then he started asking me about our daughter's birthday Um, well actually before that he wanted to meet um, uh, and take me and the girls he didn't want to take us out but he wanted to meet to see the girls and Mm -hmm. so we had uh, met him at a coffee shop and and Mm -hmm. he looked a lot better um, his hair was back to normal. He had cut it mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. styled it normal. He was looking healthier, um, and he was looking less cocky, if I could say so. He was very buff. Mm-hmm. This last summer and spring, he was just the most. So you've seen some winter, positive. Just, you're seeing positive changes. I've seen some child changes, yeah. And then, um, okay. and then um, he wanted to on Wednesday. Um, I invited him to. Um, go out to dinner with me and my girls for one of the girls' mm-hmm. birthdays. And mm-hmm. he went. He was he sent me an email and said, Thanks for inviting me. And Excellent. he went and and he even paid. Um and wow. then here's the weirdest thing as um we had been um working helping to work at our church doing some painting and stuff and they mm-hmm. had got a new building and mm-hmm. my daughter says, Hey, why don't we go over there and check it out? And so uh he went with me and our three girls to the church, and, and he hadn't been to church with us since he left in okay. early July, July of 2014. Okay. And during this last two years, he told my daughter, he said, I'll never go to church with your mom again. Well, here right. he is walking around last Wednesday night in our new church, looking at it. I introduced okay. him to somebody. And then he also said that he would come to my daughter's, one of my daughter's baptisms. Um, okay. which is uh, next month. Um, all right, so this, this all sounds really good. All right, it sounds really good. This so is, is, the, is the question about the tools? And, and yes, the tools about, and then, so then that was on Wednesday, the very next okay, but day, I'm, Thursday. I'm almost, I'm also Thursday. out of time, so we got to hurry here. I'm sorry, okay. I, I, got, I got the email about the tools. He wants to come over and just get his tools and take them and trade them for furniture in the house. And I said, I don't know if I can do that. Uh, I don't know if I want you to just come over here and take tools as you want them. Uh-huh. So I don't know if I should let him take that he wants to use, and or do I say no? Well, Are they yeah, I mean, well, he and, bought them, but they belong to all of uh, the home. I mean, I right. use the tools too. All right. So, but I mean, do you actually use the tools? Yes, I mean, I'm taking care of the home. Um, okay. There might be some of the tools that I don't use, but I do use okay. some of the tools. All right, and so you've seen a lot of positive changes. You've got tools yes. that you use. He wants to take them, and he wants to sell them to buy furniture for where he lives. Is that correct? No, he doesn't. No, he wants to. He thinks he should trade me for the tools in our house. For I mean, for the I'm sorry, he wants to trade me the tools for the furniture in the house. He says I'm not making any claim to the 
furniture in the house. I hope I it will just come o- let me just come and get my tools as I need okay. them. And so it sounds to me like you don't want him to have the tools. Is that correct? It's not that I don't want him to have the tools. I want to be strong, but I don't want to be a doormat and say, yes, come on over and get whatever you want. You've already taken all the money, and you might as well have the tools too. And if, you know, I don't want him to think like, well, if I give you tools, then you'll come back, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And I don't want to be greedy. There's some of the tools that I don't use. But okay. I'm taking care of three acres here, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, there's, so it boils down uh, he, to the fact that you're afraid that if you allow him to have the tools, that you're going to be somehow aiding and abetting what he's been doing this wrong. Is that correct? Right, right. Okay. I mean, he already took the, earlier this summer. He wanted to borrow the extension ladder, and I said okay, and he's never brought it back. And I've asked for it, and he won't. He's like okay. being manipulative and just holding it. If you believe that he's being manipulative, then. It's, you're very much within your rights to say, well, yes, I understand you want the tools, but I use the tools as well. And, you know, I loaned you the ladder and you didn't bring it back. So I'm not trying to be mean, not trying to be unkind. I, I really appreciate the fact that we're developing a little bit of a friendship now, but I don't want to give up the tools because I need them and I'm afraid you won't bring them back or something like that. You can do that if you wish. I mean, it's your choice. Um, You've got no, to have to balance this him, in your own I mind. Asked, I, I'm sorry. I I'm so sorry. My were... hour is up. I, I appreciate oh, you calling. So I'm so sorry. My time is gone. They're going to bump me off the air any second here. Make a decision okay. based on what you think is right, but try not to come across as being mean if you possibly can. That'll work against you. Okay? I know. Okay, I am. Uh, I right. am. All right, so sorry. I'm out of time. And thank you, everybody else. I appreciate you being part of our program tonight. Hopefully see you next week. 